0: how many of you, honestly, seriously, are counting your blessings? Let me see your hand, counting your blessings. I counted five this morning. They're right up here behind me, and five is the number of grace, by the way, and so we've got this graceful group up here leading us in worship, and you ought to be thanking God for them, because if it were not for them, I would be leading singing, <laughs> at which time the angels... Wings droop, and they cease playing their harps and shed tears appear. And I'm thankful. You know what? Every day, every day, Pat, don't we? I said, I'm thankful that as far as I know, none of us have COVID, none of us have had the virus. As far as I know, none of our church members have had the virus. None of our family members have had the virus. I'm just thanking God, praising God for every single blessing that He gives. And in this time of pandemic, and in this time almost uh, approaching six months now, uh, God has taken care of every single need that I have. I I hope He's done the same for you. And if He hasn't, and if there's something we can help with, let us know. We're just so thankful for the blessings of Almighty God, and knowing that our Heavenly Father takes care of His kids. Amen? He takes care of His kids all the time. Our Father, we want to say publicly and openly thank You for loving us. Thank You for providing not only our needs, but our wants and desires. Thank You, Father, for this opportunity to stand before You. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would open up our ears And cause us to hear what we need to hear. And open our eyes and cause us to see with spiritual eyes things that can't be seen with physical eyes. Help us to understand your truths today. And Father, work them into our heart and our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said Amen. You may be seated in the congregation. Welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're online with Facebook or YouTube, be the one. Thank you for tuning in today. And it's still time to get someone to watch with you, so go ahead and do that. But right now, uh, we, you are probably aware, I'm sure you're aware, in Beirut a couple of weeks ago, there was a terrible explosion, and uh, many lives were lost, and, and uh, I, don't know, I don't know if it was dozens or hundreds of buildings were affected, and uh, our own missionary there, uh, Marwan, um, has a church that was affected by it. And so we've been in contact with him since the very first day. Thankfully, he and his family were hurt. They were actually out of town when the explosion occurred. But it's greatly affected their building that they're meeting in. And so we've been saying, you know, let us know what we can do. Let us know the status. And so here's a two-minute clip we want you to watch from Marwan Zoloff. Is that how you say his name? I think so. You don't know either, so it doesn't matter. All right, here he is.
1: Greetings, First Baptist Church of Coronado. Um, for those who don't know who I am, my name is Marwan Abuzoloff, and I'm the uh, lead pastor of City Bible Church. Uh, I just wanted to send an update. I've actually been in uh, communication with Pastor Jim uh, and told him that we were actually planning on sending an update right before uh, all, all this took place. And so, of course, our uh, our efforts and our priorities kind of shifted. Um, but here I am in, in our church facility, uh, which you can see is, is empty, is, is, is destroyed, right right across this, this main highway, a quarter mile away. I can I can see the ports uh, where the, the explosion uh, that, that the whole world has heard about uh, now uh, took place. Uh, We're so thankful that we weren't here uh, as a church, we weren't meeting, no one was here in, the, in, in our facility. Uh, as a family, uh, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary the day before, and so we left the morning of the blast uh, for the first time in months to leave Beirut, uh, and, and so we weren't, we weren't near. Uh, we're so thankful for that. Uh, our, our house has some damage, but, but not anything uh, very urgent. No glass shattered, even though in our building uh, there, there was a glass, uh, kind of more damage in other apartment units. Uh, and so just one of the many ways that we've, we've seen God's kindness to us. I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for praying for us for those who reached out once you heard there was something happening in Beirut and for your prayers for the way that you have been supporting us for years uh, in in financial partnership friends uh, we wouldn't be here without you and so I want to say thank you very much Um, as far as an update uh, we're trying to figure out what's happening here so this this is a way you can be praying for us Uh, it seems that we are not able to stay here in the church uh, the damage that was sustained internally, of course, there's walls that fell down, equipment that was damaged. Uh, it seems that we can we can fix it. Uh, however, uh, the damage sustained potentially in the foundation, also some surrounding buildings that are older buildings, uh, they may collapse. Um, and, and so we're trying to get the research. We also heard that maybe the owners are going to sell this whole thing, kind of demolish it and sell it because it's, uh, it's, it's not in, in good shape anymore. So that means we don't know what's going to happen for us as a church. We... we uh, especially now, I want to stay in this neighborhood because this uh, this kind of uh, neighborhood, sub-neighborhood of Beirut, which is very central, downtown's very close, uh, was one of the hardest hit in the blast. Uh, and again, this blast is uh, just the, the newest thing. Uh, the, the COVID pandemic and, and, and the economic crisis it has been happening in the government. We, we're in the middle of a revolution that's, uh, that's uh, increased and escalated in its violence because of the recent events. And, and so this is just another... Uh, major hit to the country and so we want to stay here. We want to stay especially in this neighborhood so pray for us. Uh, this, this might be an opportunity for us to, to purchase a building. Uh, we, we don't know. We're trying to figure out what these next steps are. We, of course we don't want to uh, invest any more here or, or put any money into the space if we're not able to meet here and so uh, so pray for us. Pray for wisdom for me trying to, to shepherd our congregation, uh, care for our family uh, in this time uh, overall we're doing okay um, just trusting the Lord and we're really sensing the prayer of the saints from all around the world We've been praying for us in this time um, and so just want to say thank you uh, we look forward to seeing you again we don't know when the next time we'll be traveling or coming to the states or coming to San Diego um, but but of course when we're in town we, we can't wait to, to visit and fellowship with you all and again we will be in touch with letting you know our uh, updates ways you can be praying, what are the needs, kind of the direction of the church um, and so uh, we miss you, we love you, uh, we thank you so much for your partnership and uh, may God be glorified in your midst and then here also in Beirut.
0: So Marwan answered our question that we had of do you need some help financially until they figure out what's going to happen with the building they want to put they don't want to put money into it it's not their building. So there may be an opportunity to either repair it if it's repairable or um, possibly they'll get something else he, has, he mentioned the possibility even of, of buying a, a lot or buying a church a building so uh, we will be keeping you informed and we'll be willing of course to help out in some way we are still helping them out monthly uh, and uh, they're living they're taking care of their living needs and expenses that way so that's, that's the update so I want to uh, mention next week we'll be preaching on faith, obedience and healing how they all connected faith obedience, and healing. <clears throat> Pray for um, churches to be able to worship. Um, I'm told that uh, a friend of mine, Pastor Jack Treber, uh, has been told if he meets in his church today that uh, the government will take action against him. John MacArthur in Panorama City. Uh, the state has also um, told them that they're in violation uh, of the meeting protocols, and so um, threatening them. There's a church in Thousand Oaks, same thing. Uh, so, and I'm sure there are many others. I know there are many others. So, be praying for churches to be able to assemble and to be able to meet, to be able to worship God and to be able to glorify Him and pray for God to deliver and intervene in all of this. I want to mention to members of First Baptist Church continue to be faithful with your tithes and offerings, even though some of you cannot come in or are not in the services. Please continue to be faithful, and God is providing. We're glad for that. I have my first offering for, uh, from Pat and I for Live Love Foundation. It's going in early. This is my September offering. Uh, so if you are interested and able to help, the Live Love Foundation, missions in Tijuana, missions in Uganda, missions uh, with our own military ministry in Coronado, those are the three primary emphases of that particular foundation. Then market Live Love Foundation, whatever you put in there will go to them. You can make the check out to First Baptist, and each month we'll write them a check for the total amount we got in for that. And again, if you need something, say something, we'd be glad to help out. Here's my bulletin article. If I had a bulletin, but I don't have a bulletin, so I'm going to read it, okay? Politics, what a mess today. That's the title. (laughs) Politics, what a mess today. What are the two things we're told we must not bring up in conversations with other people? That's right. Religion and politics. What do we wind up talking about a lot of the time? Religion and politics. Now, I'll tell you from the get-go, talking about religion, more specifically the gospel, is what I'm all about. If I can't talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I don't have a whole lot to say. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is my calling in life. It is what I was created to do. I believe that with all my heart. have no doubts about that. Satan would love for us, he would love for me, love for you, to heed the conventional wisdom of never speaking to anyone about God. Don't fall prey to that flawed advice. That brings me to politics. I really do try to avoid being political. And some of you want to laugh out loud at that. <laughs> I understand people are of varying persuasions politically, and it's never my intention ever to alienate anyone by saying something that's unnecessary or untrue. But when moral issues become political footballs, I must engage. If those of us, think about this, if those of us who believe in biblical teachings remain silent, only those who have secular, non-Christian, or satanic viewpoints will be heard. We should always be tactful and sensitive, but we must not be silent when it comes to God's truth being ignored, or worse, rejected and replaced with a lie. By the way, politics has always been a dirty business. I just finished a book. It's right there. I've got it, Bobby. I'm going to give it back to you this morning. Thank you so much for it. It was, it was uh, a, a biography lit, written about Christine's great-great-grandfather. Um, and, well, I won't go give you a book review, but it's a great book. I just finished uh, a book that told a grisly tale of how corrupt American politics were back in the middle to late 1800s, specifically in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and Southern California. They included lies, fake news, intimidation, bribery, murder, and in general, a lot of nastiness. Such is the nature of politics. You know why? Because fallen mankind is involved. One day there'll be a perfect government with perfect policies, how will that be? Because Jesus will be on the throne. Until then, not so much. <laughs> so what we're going through today, even though it seems new to us, even though every election cycle seems like the worst one we've ever had and ever seen before, I think it's been that way since about 1776 and maybe a little bit before that, to tell you the honest truth about it. So you know what? Uh, the the, the thing that pat wrote on the little blackboard out front this too shall pass is true one way or another this too shall pass and we'll get through it but until then let's continue to praise god so would you stand with me as we continue to worship him in song Ready? I'll tell you, that trumpet sound may happen while we're here. That'd be great, wouldn't it? You may be seated in the auditorium. Yeah. And in the auditorium, turn, please, to the gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Mark, chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament, actually probably the first gospel written in chronological order. I need to check with my uh, resident scholars, John and David, here to see if, it's, if I'm correct on that. But I think that's the first of the gospel, uh, gospel books that were written. So m- in Mark chapter 5. And boys and girls, while the adults are turning to that, I want to talk to you. I want to ask you a question. I don't know if you know the answer to it or not. It's a really hard question. How did God become a man? How in the world did God almighty become a man? The Bible tells us that Jesus is God the Father's son, but he's also had a human body and Mary was his mother. So the Father, son, and the Holy Spirit have always been, you know, this is hard to understand boys and girls because we think about time, we think about You know, what day it is on the calendar. We think about what time it is on our watches or the clocks. And and as time goes on, we get older and wiser or not. And so so we're so controlled by time. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were around before there was time. They created time. Time was created for you and me, not for them. They have always, always, always been. And guess what? They've always had a plan to fix what Adam and Eve messed up by disobeying God in the Garden of Eden. And that plan was that Jesus, the Son of God, would become also a human being. And he would live a perfect life, tempted, but never, ever sinning, never, ever disobeying God one time. And then he would die for all of us. The Bible tells us God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So in order for that to happen, God had to become a person, a man. So in the gospel, God the Father says to his son Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So how did that happen? And you know the story about Mary and the manger and Joseph and the shepherds and the sheep and the wise men. You know the story, don't you? God appointed Mary to be the mother of Jesus. Joseph was her husband, but listen, Joseph was not her father. Joseph, or his father. Joseph was Jesus' stepfather, okay? Because his real father was God, the heavenly father. This was a miracle that would take place only once in all of history. It's never happened before. Never will it happen again. But it was an important miracle because Mary had the baby that was God and man in one. Because she did that, Jesus became a human being, would be tempted to sin, but never would give in to it. He would remain pure and always obey his heavenly Father and would therefore be the one who would die for us and for our sins. He became the Lamb of God. Now, the Bible tells us that he did what no one else could ever do, living a totally perfect life, and I'm glad that he did. Jesus is a unique combination of God and man in one person. Aren't you thankful for that? I certainly am. Boys and girls, remember, love him. And cling to him, love him with all your heart, because he did everything for you. All right, so Mark chapter 5, the miracle that disturbed the miracle, or disturbed the disturbed, rather. The text for today is from the book of Mark. And who in the world is Mark? This gospel is not personalized like many uh, of the gospels are, like the gospel of Luke is, or like a lot of the Paulinean... Uh, epistles are no one in by the name of mark is mentioned in this gospel the gospel is believed to be the earliest of the four gospels and more than likely this was john mark we do read about john mark later on in some other uh scriptures barnabas was his cousin according to colossians chapter 4 verse 10 and mark was a hellenist what is a hellenist that's a wealthy um greek-speaking jew from cyprus of the Le- Levitical family, so he was from in the Levitical tribe. John Mark was also closely linked with Paul and Barnabas and Peter, and it was associated with three real important uh, scriptural towns: Jerusalem, Antioch, and Rome. From the very start, he was involved in uh, missionary work among the Gentiles. John Mark, therefore, would have ready access to a lot of gospel, early gospel material, and an interest in. Uh, giving the Gentiles, you and me who are not Jews, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel does not include a genealogy. I tried to say this last week and I messed up. I couldn't get my brain and my tongue engaged. But Mark's gospel doesn't have a genealogy because Mark presents Jesus Christ as a slave or a servant. He's a servant. Servants don't need a, a genealogy. Matthew represents him as a king. The king of the Jews. A king has a pedigree, has to have a pedigree. Luke shows them. I have grandparents on either side. I have great, great grandparents on either side. Not some who made history in New Mexico, Arizona, and Southern California. However, I have those same uh, people in my family, or different people, but the same kind of a lineage in my genealogy because I'm a human being. John, the, uh, the gospel of John, presents Christ as God. And God has always been, so he doesn't have a father or a mother or grandparents or any of that. So, uh, so here, there is no genealogy. And a distinctive characteristic of Mark's gospel is what's called the Aramaisms. Aramaisms, what in the world is that? Well, the New Testament mostly was written in Greek, but also some Aramaic. And so um, this refers to the preservation of the Greek words in the text of, uh, of Mark's gospel of Aramaic words, such as Talitha Kumai in Mark five forty one, 41, Ephrathah in 7, 34, Rabbi in Mark 9, 5, Rabboni in Mark 10, 5, Abba in Mark 14, 36, and from the cross when Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. So he has Aramaisms. He carried the Aramaic into his uh, gospel. So today's sermon comes from Mark 5, and we start out in verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, also called the Gerasenes, also called the Gergesenes. I don't know why it has three names, but it just does, depending on the translation that you have. It all refers to that same area, citizens of Gadara, east of the Jordan River, on the southeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. So that red uh, point right there, that's the area. uh, They had been on on the uh, west side of the Sea of Galilee. They got in a boat. They went over to the uh, southeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, in the previous chapter, Jesus had taught the multitudes using parables. Uh, parables were a, a teaching mechanism whereby people who were familiar with certain things but not familiar with other things were, were taught about those things. So he would talk about farming because a lot of people were into agriculture. They would drop seed, and if it was on stony ground, and if it was on in weeds, and, if it, and so on. And, and so they would they would learn truths that they didn't know by use of truths that they did know. So he would talk about farming, he would talk about fishing, he would talk about soldiering. Uh, and so he had just been on this teaching, parable teaching tour, and perhaps to get away from the crowd, or maybe specifically to go to Gadara uh, for the purpose of healing this man uh, or, or delivering this man from demons, Jesus commands they go by a ship to the opposite shore. Now, on the way, a storm arose. And they were in danger. <clears throat> they were in danger of uh, being capsized, of being drowned. And so uh, they they found Jesus. And guess what he was doing? Anybody know? He was taking a nap. He was taking a nap. Uh, one of my favorite uh, t-shirts. I I think about getting. My wife says I buy these weird t-shirts on, uh, on uh, yeah, on the internet. But my favorite one now is Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. Uh, and so, yeah. That may be the only way I'm like him, but that's, that's one way. So uh, he, he was found fast asleep, sound asleep in the middle of this storm. Isn't that just like him? Got this storm, this pandemic, uh, rioting, burning, looting, uh, nasty politics. Everything's falling apart. Asteroid headed for uh, San Diego, California. And, and, and where's Jesus? He's, he's sleeping. He's okay. He's at perfect peace. Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows he's got everything under control. So he woke up and he first rebuked the wind and sea, peace be still, and the waves laid down and the winds quit howling. Then he rebuked his followers for lacking faith because he was probably, I don't know if he can be grouchy or not, but when you wake someone up from a nap, probably he can't be grouchy. But at any rate, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. The disciples wondered in the text, it says, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, they don't know the half of it. They're about to find out something very, very significant beginning in verse 2. So Jesus and the apostles finally arrive on the other side of the lake in the land of the Gadarenes. In verse 2, Jesus is met by a demoniac. Now, I one time had a, a guy at my other church um, who I, I, was, I would go door-to-door. We'd made a lot of door-to-door visits. Some of you will remember those days. We'd go knock on doors and talk to people about the Lord um and witness to him and, and if they came and visited we would visit them and, and there was a lot of that and a lot of good things happened with that well i knocked on the door one time and jim pagan what a name jim pagan <laughs> came to the door and i started talking to him and i, I asked him i said uh, jim have you ever received christ as your personal savior and he said well no he said i, I there i just can't believe the bible with too many contradictions And I've heard this a thousand times. You've probably heard it too. Too many contradictions. So my favorite thing to always say is, you know what? I've studied the Bible and I don't know of it. Can you tell me just one? There may be lots and lots of them. I don't know. But can you tell me just one contradiction? Most of the time people go, "Uh, um, well, my professor said uh, that there were contradictions. So there must be contradictions because he's a learned individual. Well, uh, nobody usually gives me an example. Jim Pagan gave me an example. Jesus, in another place, it said there was one demon. Well, actually, in two other places, it says there was one. So in Matthew chapter 8, the parallel account of this, there are two people who came out of the tombs who were possessed with demons. And in Luke chapter 8, it mentions a man who came out of the demons. But here's here's what I told Jim. I said, Jim, look, you know what? There may have been two. There was two because the Bible says there were two. But one of them connected with the Lord. One of them got delivered. One of them experienced what Mark talks about in Mark chapter 5. It doesn't negate. It doesn't, there's no conflict at all. It's an apparent contradiction. It's not a real contradiction. He got saved. He became a member of the church. Uh, got baptized and all of that. But here Jesus met by a demoniac. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed... With evil. And this means within him or inside of him was an evil spirit. In the King James, unclean spirit. Unclean because they had lost their original uh, purity, created in purity. But this this demon had uh, given up that first estate and had gone a whole different path. It followed after Satan in the fall. So this demon came out of the tombs, the graves, the cemetery to meet him. Uh, and this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained. Can you imagine <coughs> living in a cemetery? I mean, what a what a creepy place to live. I, I I know you know I know there's nobody there. I don't believe in ghosts, but I don't like to. I wouldn't want to live in a cemetery anyhow. Just gonna, just being honest with you. And so uh, what happened here is he was restrained, it, even the, with chains, shackles, or bonds. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, the chains, uh, the Greek word indicates something like handcuffs, something to to tie the hands together. And the shackles in the Greek word for that means that their feet were bound. So he he would be bound feet and hands. And often as he was, he snapped the chains, the hand restraints from his wrist, and smashed the shackles, the foot restraints. I mean, he was uncontrollable. He was absolutely uncontrollable. Uh, too powerful for anybody around him. So no treatment by man could help him or control him. The Bible says in verse 4, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Isn't that amazing? Howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Neither binding nor isolating him helped. He, was, he would break the restraints. He would roam around. He would make eerie. We, we've got a guy. Uh, you guys, some of you guys know him from Imperial Beach. Uh, he used to, I haven't seen him in a long time, but he used to come up where we live now. And he'd go out on these hills, yell at the top of his voice, and, and like he's preaching or something. I don't know. And he would do that. And we would hear him echoing through the canyons. And here was this guy. Uh, you know, when you come across someone like that, you kind of look at him and watch him, don't you? I mean, you know, you, you don't want to just, you know, you, you know, watch this guy, Something, something's not right. So uh, here he was, yelling, howling, cutting himself with sharp stones, blood, cuts, gashes, scabs. He, he resorted to self-affliction in the form of cutting. Now, I, I looked up a Mayo Clinic, and I looked up non-suicidal self-injury. Often called just simply self injury, and this is what says quote: It's the act of deliberately harming your own body, such as cutting or burning yourself. It's typically not meant as a suicide attempt. Rather, this type of self injury is a harmful way to cope with emotional pain, intense anger, and frustration. While self injury may bring a momentary sense of calm and release of tension, listen to this carefully. It is usually followed by guilt and shame and the return of painful emotions. Although life-threatening injuries are usually not intended with this, with self-injury comes the the possibility of more serious and even potentially fatal self-aggressive actions. And when I have a wedding, uh, I read from Ephesians 5. We've got one coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. And when I read uh, uh, Ephesians 5, I always come to the part where the groom is to love his wife as he loves himself. And the Bible says, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. And I I used to kind of stumble at that a little bit. Because if people don't hate their own flesh, why do they do themselves injury? Uh, And then I I think I have it figured out. If you have some insight in this, let me know. But I think self injury and even suicide have influences by demoniac activity. I think demons influence That's not to say a person who does that is demon-possessed because if a person is born again, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and there is no possession of that person by demons any longer. There's no possibility for that. But Satan still influences us. Satan still does what he can to influence us, to have angry outbursts, to say things that are not convenient to be said, not, shouldn't be said, to think things and do things and act on those thoughts that we wouldn't normally do. And so what I think is the, these are tools of Satan that, and these attacks upon human beings are so influenced because we are created in the image of whom? God to do that has no authority to do that but if he can attack you if he can attack me if he can cause us to do injury to ourselves if he can cause us god forbid to attempt to take our own lives then that demonic influence is actually attacking the very image of almighty god that's as close as he can get to it these are virtual attacks upon god amazingly in this story this person who had been howling and cutting himself and, and, and dwelt with evil spirits ran towards Jesus and worshiped him. That's what it says. Look at verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. And the Greek words there for bowed low before mean worshiped him. It's proskumeneo, which means to kiss, to adore, to worship to do obeisance, to show respect, to fall prost- prostrate before him, to literally kiss towards someone, like blowing, blowing kisses, that he was worshiping Jesus being demon possessed. I find it strange, I find it incredibly strange that a demon would see Jesus for who he is, but people a lot of times do not. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well, the devils also believe and tremble. Now some religions teach and some philosophies teach that there's one big supernatural spirit that's capable of both good and evil. One big spirit. Uh, the, The real spirit world, the real spirit world, angels and demons, no better than that. There is no yin and yang in one spirit. There is no, uh, he's good one time, bad the next time, good the next time, bad the next time. There is good in God, there is evil in Satan. And this demon was fearful with a shriek, and this is a, a case of onomatopoeia uh, imitating the horse cry Of a raven, so it's it's the sound he made was like that's what the word is used. It's it's a it's a shriek, and he screamed, "Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, you've got a demon praying in the name of God." And some political conventions won't mention him. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Note, the demon reacts to Jesus. Now, often Jesus didn't have to call out evil spirits. They recognize they have a lot more sense than people do. They're not very wise, but they have a lot more understanding and knowledge than people do. Now, here Jesus evidently, though, costed the spirit first, because in verse 8, he said, uh, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now, let me stop and make something perfectly clear. There's a huge difference in mental illness and demon possession. All right? A huge difference in mental illness and demon possession. They are not synonymous. Mental illness can be perpetrated as a result of satanic influence or oppression. It can be the result... I believe, of rejecting God's direction in our lives and reaping the subsequent consequences. But mental illness can also have organic or chemical causations. Tumors and chemical imbalances and all kinds of problems, uh, drugs and alcohol and injuries and so on, can result in certain mental illnesses. But the Bible differentiates. Now, some people, when they read these... Demons being cast out say, well, this is mental illness and God healed him from it. No. In Mark 3, 10 and 11, for he healed many, and that's one clause, he had healed many insomuch they pressed upon him for a touch as they had many plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. Two separate clauses, two separate things happened here. Those with uh, uh, illnesses were healed, and those who had unclean spirits had those spirits cast out. Now we're going further in verse 6. Uh, by the way, Jesus was no stranger to unclean spirits. you realize that? Since he is from the very beginning, since he has no beginning at all, and since the angels were created at some point in the past, and since a great number, some suppose as many as a third of the angels fell in the fall, he knew their names when they were created. He knew every one of them. But for the sake of the Disciples, perhaps, and certainly for our sakes, as we read this gospel 2,000 years hence from the time it occurred, Jesus demands the spirits to identify themselves. Who are you? Jesus demanded, what is your name? And in scripture, name and nature were closely aligned. Uh, Just an aside. Name and nature were often closely aligned. And he replied, my name is Legion. And you know what Legion is, right? A legion is the largest division of troops in the Roman army. Now, one source said it was 6,000 troops, uh, but evidently that number consisting of a, 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 a legion varied in different periods of history. Sometimes it was 3,000, sometimes it was 4,200 troops, sometimes it was 5,000, the most I found was sixty-six. Hundred troops in Elysian. So, what they're saying is, in dwelling in this man are thousands of evil spirits, thousands of demons, and an indefinite number of fallen angels. Because there are many of us inside this man. So, this admission shows two things. Well, first of all, no wonder the man was powerless. Can I tell you this? You and I are no match for one demon. You and I are no match for one demon. We need the Holy Spirit of God. We need God's help in any kind of battling that we do on a spiritual level. And secondly, the power of the evil spirits was great. great. There was an army of evil controlling him. An army. Now the demons began to plead with Jesus. Then the evil spirits begged him Interestingly enough, parakaleo, parakaleo, which means to call to the side of, which is the same thing used of the Holy Spirit. Same word used of the Holy Spirit, only it's a name with the Holy Spirit, the called alongside one. When we have trouble, when we have issues and problems, we, we call for, the, for God to help us. It's the Holy Spirit who comes alongside and helps us. But the use of that Greek word means uh, they... they, they uh, Begged him. They beseeched him. It's the strongest word there is for, so begging like a beggar, again and again, the emphasis there, they begged him again and again to send them out, to to not send them out to some distant place. Don't banish us. Don't cast us out into some wilderness or desert somewhere. So they make a proposal in verse eight. There happened to be a large herd of pigs, swine, feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, and the spirits begged, and again, the word parkele, let us enter them. Here's the results, verse 13. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned into the water. Now, seven times when you come across Jesus' casting evil spirits out of people in the Bible, sometimes the spirits wreak havoc one more time for that victim. Sometimes they'll try to cast him into the fire, cast him into the water, or uh, tear him. They'll try to hurt the host before they leave and obey what God has said. But here, they had a whole different proposition Don't cast us into some desert land. Don't cast us somewhere far away. Send us into the herd of pigs. And so perhaps Jesus allowed this to happen to show that there was a reality of an expulsion of evil spirits here and that the size of the herd would indicate a great number of demons. And, you know, again, one demon, we're no match for. One demon was a lot of trouble. Mary Magdalene said had seven spirits, evil spirits, and that was terrible. Can you imagine having an army of thousands of demons at work in your head and in your heart? Now, there's another supposition. Maybe Jesus allowed this to happen because Jewish herdsmen were not supposed to be having hogs because pork was forbidden Under Mosaic law. Two birds, one stone. Well, 2,000 pigs, one stone. Whatever. Then we see the herdsmen in verse 14. Herdsmen fled to nearby town surrounding the countryside, and they spread the news. The name, the, the the word for this this idea of spreading the news is agalos. Agalos, The same word we get angel from. They were messengers. They weren't given the gospel. They were they were telling you won't believe what just happened to that. You know that guy lives in the tombs. You know that that demon possessed guy. The guy we can't keep tied up. We can't uh, keep him under control. You know what happened? This Jesus of Nazareth came along and and cast some demons out of him, and they went into a herd of pigs, and they went off the into the lake and drown. And so people rushed out to see what had happened. So we see the crowd in verse 15, soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion, and he was sitting there. Notice, he wasn't raging about and screaming and cutting himself. He was fully clothed. He wasn't naked or half naked, and he was perfectly sane. He was of sound mind. Now, look, if you knew somebody was demon-possessed, had been cutting themselves and howling and going around naked and breaking restraints and just uh, making a mess of life, uh, and, and all of a sudden you saw him sitting there in his right mind, wouldn't you say, wow, isn't that great? And they were afraid. phobia. they were terrified. They weren't just a little scared. They were terrified. I don't understand it. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man, the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus, go away, leave us alone. What? A miracle had just taken, a massive miracle had just taken place. A man possessed by thousands of demons was set free, and they were terrified? That would indicate they were more afraid of the man now in his right mind than they were when he was possessed by demons. They had lost money. They saw an incredible power here exerted. Maybe they were worried about what more would happen if Jesus remained with them, so they plead with him to go. Have you heard Garth Brooks' song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? It's a great song. But here, this crowd had an answered prayer that was tragic. Leave us. Leave us. And he did. And here's here's a solemn thought. We have no more record in the Bible of him ever going to the same place again. Leave us. Okay. The plea. The exact opposite happens with the man who was demon possessed. As Jesus was getting in the boat to go back home, uh, to go back across the lake, uh, the man who had been demon possessed begged him, Parakaleo, again, same word, called alongside to to go with him. He begged him and begged him. I want to go, please. Again and again he asked them. And Jesus said, no, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit Decapolis, or the ten towns in that region, and began to proclaim, to preach, or to herald the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Isn't it amazing? The villagers said, leave us, go away. And the former demoniac begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no. What a paradox here. In addition, Jesus told a leper in chapter 1 of Mark to tell no one, and now he tells the demoniac-delivered man, go tell everyone. The commentator said, since Jesus would not be back in those cities because he was asked not to be, he wanted a witness of the gospel to proclaim deliverance by grace through faith in his absence. Now, that, let, me, let me close with this thought. Here's a man who lived in the tombs, cut himself, crazy, out of his mind, controlled by thousands of evil spirits. And all of a sudden, Jesus tells him, I want you to go preach. <laughs> I want you to preach. Was this man up to the task? What a calling. He had no formal training. I don't think he went to Bible college. I know he didn't go to seminary. He went to the cemetery, not to the seminary. (laughs) And yet he succeeded because the Bible tells us that people everywhere, far and wide in those 10 towns were amazed. They were astonished at what had happened. So here's what happened to him. He, he recognized who Jesus was and what he did for him. don't you stop there and think about it. Do you realize who he is? Do you realize what he's done for you? Do I realize what he's done for me? Delivering us from eternal death, from hell and the grave, the worries and insecurities of this life, the anxieties. He recognized who Jesus was. He had been cleansed by the Lord. Have you been cleansed? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? He knew firsthand the grace and the mercy of God. I didn't deserve salvation. I do not deserve going to heaven one little bit. But I thank God for his grace and the mercy. And this man obeyed Jesus. He went out there and preached. He didn't say, I can't do it. He didn't say, I haven't been formally trained. He didn't say, I don't have anything to say. And people were amazed. They were moved and they were astonished. So let me ask you this. Are you telling others about what Jesus has done for you? Right after 9 11, there was a little saying that came along see something, say something. Well, how about this? See something that's happened in your life because of Christ, say something to everybody you can. I'm not supposed to talk about politics and religion, that's for the devil. You're supposed to tell everybody, you are a a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to tell other people about what he's done in your life. You don't have to have all the answers. Well, preacher, I'm afraid they'll ask me questions. I don't What if they say, you know, in one place it says there's two demoniacs, in another place it says there's one demoniac. I don't know what I'm going to say. Tell them that's a great question. We'll talk about that later. But do you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Well, what about the image in the book of Daniel of the, the head of gold? and the... Ch- oh, that's a great question, man. We need to talk about that. But first, most importantly, do you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Well, preacher, I don't understand about election and predestination. Oh, that's a great thing. Let's talk about that later. I don't understand either. Uh, but let's talk about that later on. But, but right now, do you know if you died, you'd be in heaven tonight? If you can't tell people about your testimony, it makes me wonder do you have a testimony? What has Jesus really done for you? And if you do have a testimony, you are absolutely qualified to tell people what he's done for you. Your friends should see a difference. Isn't that right? And if they see a difference, tell them why the difference is there. You didn't turn over a new leaf. You got born again. You got saved. You put your faith in Christ. You're a Christ follower. You you love this book now. You love God. He's your heavenly father. You've been born again. Tell people, you are qualified. He gave us the commission in four places in the gospels to go tell other people about what Jesus has done for you. The question remains, will you? Will you? Will you? Because if we don't, people will die without hope and without help. Our God in heaven, we thank you so much for the tremendous power that Jesus Christ has and that you have as our Father and the Holy Spirit has. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for your deliverance from sin, hell, and the grave. Lord, we're so thankful for the promises that you give us. And if there's someone watching our online or if there's someone in the auditorium who's not certain that if they died right now that they'd be in heaven tonight, and they're wanting to make sure of that, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would do what I can't do. I can't twist anybody's arm. I can't make anybody trust you. Wouldn't if I could. It's a free will choice they have to make. So I pray, God, if there's someone like that listening right now, that in their own heart they would pray a simple prayer, something like this, and they would mean it with all the sincerity. They would say, Father, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm going to die and stand before you one day. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again after three days. I believe that if I call upon you, that you'll save me, you'll forgive me of my sins because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So please, Father, be my God. Jesus, be my Savior. Holy Spirit, be the one who lives within me as best I know how. I trust you right now in Jesus name I pray every head still bowed for a moment if you prayed that prayer something like it right now you meant it with all your heart would you slip your hand up for just one moment I won't embarrass you God bless you thank you You put your hand down Is is there someone else preacher I just prayed that prayer God bless you anyone else besides these anyone else God in heaven I thank you and I praise you Lord I pray that you would come alongside these two as you said you would in scriptures and that you would begin to build in them that life that you want them to have a life where we glorify you by living for you and letting other people know there's a God in heaven who loves them loves them so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for their sins. So we thank you for it. We pray your blessings upon us. God walk with us this week. God heal our land. Give our country revival we pray. God move in our midst in amazing ways. Do things that human beings can't do. Politicians can't do. Law enforcers can't do. Preachers can't do. Do things that only you can do and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. May God richly bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being online and watching. And if we can be any help to you, let us know. If you prayed that prayer and you were watching, uh, let us know. We'll send you some uh, literature to begin your walk with the Lord. So may God bless you richly today. Yes, ma'am. Huh? Yes, in the back table, if you you raised your hand, there are some blue bags right by the sound booth uh, with some literature. Please grab one of those. Nobody will... they ask you any questions, just take them, and if we can help you, we'd be glad to do so. Hey, if you're glad you were in God's house today, would you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Let's stand and be dismissed in the last song.
2: so much for being here and we'll
0: see you next week thank you so much for being in God's house today may you walk with the Lord all day long